Hey everyone, you're listening to another episode of The Green Room with Neil Griffiths, presented by the Handshake Media Network. This episode is supported by our good friends at Audio Technica, and it is a good episode for it because my guest this week is arguably the biggest producer on the friggin' planet. His name is Mark Ronson. He was in Sydney this week to promote his new album, Late Night Feelings. If you haven't heard it, check it out. It is full of, as he calls them, sad bangers. Uh, in this episode, we actually talk about a lot of stuff, as well as the album, we talk about his collaborations with some huge names like Lady Gaga, Amy Winehouse, uh, his relationship with Kevin Parker from Tame Impala, and obviously this is a, a, a breakup album of sorts, and we discuss, is he over the breakup? Time will tell. And by time, I mean right now. Here's my chat with Mark. Sorry, on. Um, so welcome to Sydney. Thank you. Um, you've been here for a couple of days now. It's Sunday? I got here Sunday. It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. How's it all been? Great. Yeah, it's been like kind of a lot of interviews and whatnot, but it's great. And, you know, Australia's always, since record collection... Australia's always really supported the records I've released and it's like uh, always a place where you come and people are enthusiastic to talk about music and so I, I think it, it it feels nice to be here. It doesn't feel f- like just like work. Mm. What was the last time you were here? Probably 2015 for Splendor um, and uh, I was here on that time. We did some side shows and we had you know Kevin Parker, Kieran Callan and Daniel Merriweather um, some great people on the road with us and it was a lot of fun to do those shows. Australia is actually weirdly like the only place that like really did shows on the Uptown special album and then toured a little more extensively on record collection because we played Future Fest. It was us, MGMT and Tame Impala was this one stage mm. 2011. So yeah, it's just like, it's always been good for us musically. I say us like there's a, Royal we or something for me, it's me. That's who I'm mm. the only important one. No, <laughs> I just mean like when I say us, there's always like a tour, different varying touring band of people with it, so it always feels like a band. But I guess what I mean is me. Mm. I've been watching a bunch of interviews, especially like in the last month you've done in over here in the UK, the US, and you keep referring to this as a breakup album. Mm-hmm. Did it do the job? <clears throat> Did it break up my marriage? This album? No, no, no. Like, have, have, is this has this helped the breakup? Have you bounced oh, back now? Uh, no, I never meant to say that this would like heal the breakup. I think that like you know, if you're gonna go through something challenging in life, whatever it is, breakup. I don't know, loss of a loved one. Who? I, there's so many different things. Like, if there's a chance to channel it and kind of use it to build on or put into whatever you do, whether it's you make art or whatever you're occupation is to make it better i don't think that like a record could heal a breakup or a wound i don't there might be something slightly cathartic about the process but i think what happened for me i can't really speak for anyone else but what happened for me is that it just helped me make better music so that's i just like kind of grateful for that the um the album itself there's a a lot of great collaborations obviously miley alicia keys king princess Working with established names like that to emerging acts like King Princess, do you change up how you work or work with them? 
No, because all those people have a very clear, defined sense of like who they are. Like even King Princess, who's like you know just turned twenty, like she has such a defined like. We get in arguments in the studio all the time because she's like stubborn. I'm stubborn. Like, and actually, she does most of her music by herself anyway. So all I'm there is just to give her like a helpful lend an ear to it or whatever it is. Um, and the same goes for Alicia Keys, who's been like a legend for twenty years basically since she came out the gate. So. Um, yeah, all the people that I work with are pretty, like, I don't mean stubborn, but, like, have a good, strong, defined sense of, like, who they are and what they're about, so, um, maybe on my records, it's a bit different than when I go on to work on one of their records, like, maybe there's a little bit more give and take on my record, because they're like, okay, I understand I'm doing this thing within the confines of, like, Mark's sort of breakout record, I'm willing to go to, like, maybe a slightly different zone than I would on, on my own music, but, for the most part, all those people do something pretty awesome and special, so I don't want to, like, bend it too much. Like, I just want to kind of find out where our, we complement each other. Because mm. I was, I was going to say that as well. Your role as producer for other people's work compared to they're now working on your album, does it change a lot? I think the only way that it really changes is, like, everybody coming into this record once we got a sense of what it was, was like, oh, cool, this is like this kind of DJ breakup album, this thing of sad bangers, whatever it was. I mean, Lee K. Lee, like her own music is pretty much like sad bangers, like what, you know, her last album was called So Sad, So Sexy. Like like there's a couple of people that are already sort of in that zone. And then I guess it was just, yeah, I guess it's a little bit different. Maybe people are just more willing to like surrender themselves to something. I'm sure like, Angel Olsen is somebody who um, I've been a fan of and like I'm sure the fact that she was coming into my world to make this song was like probably a little bit more like surrendered to the fact that like okay we're making like a David Lynch druggy disco ABBA record here maybe in a way that she wouldn't on her own record but um, it's fun because you really don't know what you're going to make sometimes these people show up to the studio you're like okay well Let's just start and just see if it's if it's any good and we both like it. What do you define your role as? Because I remember last year, do you know Steve Lillywhite? For those listening, he's a big UK producer. He's yeah. worked with the Stones and U2. Yeah. And he was kind of going through each album and what he did and how he worked with that artist and yeah. what his role was. And it seemed to change up every one. He was more controlling than some. Some he sat back. Yeah, it's there is no set thing there's not even not only is there not a set thing per album there's not even a set thing probably per song on this record you know nothing breaks like a heart was a song that came about because um Ilsie Juba this songwriter that I was working with on the album she came up with the lyrical idea so me her and Tommy are in the room kind of craft this little chorus and then I send it to Miley because like I've been trying to work with her for four years and like kind of never really worked out and I was like oh what the hell try one last time sent it um, and then she came in and wrote the verses together, Pieces of Us with King Princess. She kind of wrote most of that just like by herself on an electric piano with her, with the guy Mike that she writes with a lot and kind of brought it to me. And then we wrote the bridge together. Uh, Late Night Feeling started just me and Ilse writing the first verse and pre-chorus and then Lique came. So like they're all just like... They're all just like these little puzzles and like whatever sort of gets the job done. Obviously, when I'm working on other people's records, then it's really different. And I work with people that are really great producers in their own right, like people like 
Josh Homme from Queen to the Stone Age or Bruno Mars, like who who can all produce their own records if they wanted to as well. Mm-hmm. So you're always just trying to find that. What can I bring to the table? What would be really valuable? Not like how can I put my stamp on this, like, but more like what can I bring to this person that like they might not be able to do themselves. Mm. Queens of the Stone Age as well. They um, obviously their last album you produced, and there was a lot of talk, lot of talk about you know were they worried that either of your reputations might be shook up a bit because you know you are both great in your respective fields, but blending the two, especially with these guys, an established hard rock act. Yeah, was that ever a concern for you? Uh, not really. I mean, I think Josh really loves to do things that like definitely piss people off intentionally or definitely do the unexpected. So I think there was like probably 7% of him that was like tickled by that idea. But of course, he's not going to make like a subpar Queens record just because like he wants to piss a few people off. So like he uh, so we went in and I think that he you know, we were working together. I, I wrote him a, a kind of letter. I still like the old school polite way. That's how you get people. Maybe his thing was the email, but it had the poetic nature of a letter. I don't, I don't know. But, uh, I, so I just, when I was working on Joanne, I just had, there were a couple songs that I just thought he would really maybe not only sound amazing playing guitar on, but like actually he would like them. So he played, I played it for him and he really dug it and he came in and played. And I think while he was kind of watching me work on Joanne, he'd sometimes show up to the studio and watch me produce a band. And like, I think he was kind of, I didn't know, but auditioning me in his head. Like, this is guy, the real deal is he have the goods. And uh, so then, yeah, of course. And, you know, when he asked me if I wanted to produce the Queens record, it was like the biggest, like, he didn't need to hear my answer. He knew exactly what they're, you know, they're my favorite rock and roll band of all time. But, um, you know, it's still at the same time, you still got to deliver. And it's funny because I have some friends that are such big Queens fans that were so happy for me to get the gig, but were also like straight up looked me in the face of like, but if you make a shitty Queens record, you know, it's the end of our friendship. Right. So, so I like, it's, it's pretty crazy. Like you, I have worked with heroes and peers and people just coming up and, someone like kevin from tame impala as well it's like it is it is odd that this is my friend and i spend time with them but like how much time i spend listening to their music as well because it genuinely is like one of my favorite things in the world or it brings me joy or maybe there's like three minutes left on the treadmill i'm like fuck how am i gonna get it through this okay like you know uh fucking apocalypse dreams like that's gonna be that's gonna be my energy boost so um it's 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 it is kind of funny to have these friends that like also fan is a weird word but it's kind of appropriate like that you're actually a fan like who do something special that's like your favorite thing of that thing because mm. team and power are massive here and they're obviously huge in the states as well for those who might not know tell me about your relationship with kevin because i know you've said working with kevin is really intimidating yeah. But for those who have maybe met Kevin, he's quite a shy and yeah. humble guy. Yeah, I think like Kevin is another person is like like that, like an amazing producer, kind of a bit of like a like a one man army, you know, like bedroom Perth, tape machine, couple synths, like and just making all that music. Um I met Kevin when I came over to play Future Fest in two thousand eleven and uh I remember coming over on the, like, literally on the plane on the way here because I was super into Inner Speaker and I was, like, kind of thinking to myself, like, I'm kind of excited to meet them, but, like, I hope they're not dicks because then that, like, ruins the music. And the first person I see when I get there, I think the first one was, like, in Perth or Brisbane is, like, Jay rolling by, like, on this golf cart, like, like, so sweet and dorky, like, hey, mate, like, oh, Kevin's going to be, like, psyched to meet you, like, whatever, so... 
forgive my terrible Aussie accent. Um, but um, and I met them and we hung out and it was like, became good friends. He really loved Bang Bang Bang. I really loved Inner Speaker. And if you think about it, like Bang 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 goes like, and Solitude is just goes, it's like we're both have a similar thing about syncopation shit like he's just also an amazing multi-instrumentalist and singer so that's like there's maybe the difference but um we just became like we just stayed friends and worked on a little bit of music some demos and then when i started uptown special i was like will you come out to uh to memphis for a bit and work with us so so we did some tunes together there and just like you know always sending demos what do you think of this and then when we started to work on we worked. At, we were DJing together because Kevin like kind of was like really in his vibe of like enjoying DJing, playing records, and so we made a few pieces of music that we never finished. But one of them became the song "Find You Again" for my album because he had this great melody and chord sequence. And uh, then Camila Cabello wrote the kind of lyrics to it. And so yeah, so Kevin's actually kind of you know from the shadows is very much a big part of this album too. Are you guys working? As we, well, not as we speak, but, you know, are you guys still sending stuff back and forth? Uh, no, I think, like, his main priority right now is, like, you know, Tame Record. But, you know, the, always it's when you have a good relationship with somebody, whether it's him, Andrew Wyatt, Jeff Basker, the people that I work with a lot, like, you know, the, there's always a chance you might just end up in a room and vibe out. I'm just thinking right now, when I was watching your interview with Stern, which was, I say, early June? No, the Stern thing was like maybe January, actually. Like January. Mid-January. Yeah, I was, I, well, he was um, talking about Amy Winehouse. Yeah. And there was a part there where he um, played Rehab. Yeah. And you looked like you kind of zoned out and you were just listening to that song. Was that was there something specific that you're thinking about when a song like that comes on? Are you just thinking about those times? Is it just because you love that song? Um, I think sometimes it's funny, like, it's like you get taken aback a little bit because I don't listen to my own music and, you know, some of it, obviously, when I DJ in a club, I play it, but so every now and then I'm listening to Rehab and I'm like, oh, cool. And it's not like, kind of like, oh, cool, I made this. It's like, wow, listen to Homer, like how great that drum line is, or listen to Amy's voice. And you kind of become detached from the music because you work on it so much and it becomes like almost, uh, I don't know, it's like almost like kind of like gets abstracted so much and then every now and then you can hear it and like be like oh i i know i i get why people dug this this is pretty cool <laughs> um and uh yeah and with amy it's always a little bit different because you know her voice is like she's not here anymore so like you know sometimes when you hear her voice and things like that sometimes it's fine and then sometimes i can be like walking through a hotel lobby and back to black comes on and it's like it, it does really hit me um so it just like it kind of just depends what day it catches me, you know. Your memory is pretty tight. Even I'm talking now, and you're retelling some of these stories. They're yeah. pretty bang on, aren't they? Yeah, a lot of it is. I mean, there's some shit that I definitely forgot. Like someone will tell me some crazy story about like, remember when you were DJing like like '98 and we were at live and like Daft Punk were like sitting in the corner of the booth and like Mariah Carey blew in and like no one recognized <laughs> Daft Punk and she kind of pushed them out the way and. I was like, no, but if that story is <laughs> true, it's incredible. Um, so there's certain things I definitely remember. Like, they usually have to do with, like, moments that kind of 
something was created or something special happened, like get like kind of etched into my head a little bit. And then other things are just like been destroyed by alcohol. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, that sounds so dramatic. Well, it's it's just, <laughs> wear, just wear and tear general, you know, mild abuse. An album, it's actually not yours that you mentioned recently that's actually pretty important to me anyway. Batman soundtrack. Yes. The Prince soundtrack. Yes. Why is that so important to you? Um, I don't know if it was actually so important. I mean, I loved Prince growing up. The album that I really remember going to like the shops to buy like right the day it came out uh, was Love Sexy. Yeah. And I remember being like a, a kid and not understanding like why there were no track divides. Like it was just one continuous album. Obviously, like now I realize it was just like Prince being like, I'm the fucking man. You're not skipping through any of this album. But I just definitely... Yeah, Prince. Like my dad loved Prince. He used to take me to Prince concerts. Um, it was like that was one of our bonds, like over that kind of music. And the Batman soundtrack um, was just something that was just like, I guess, kind of like a little, like weird and obtuse for like a thirteen year old kid because it had that weird like song Bat Dance. It was like Vicky Vale, v -v -v Vicky yeah. Vale, like just kind of like weird old samplers and. Um, but it was it was kind of cool, and you know, I think the story I was telling was how when I worked at Rolling Stone as an intern at twelve, and I was like, had to go down and tell the art department that the Batman soundtrack was number one, and my voice hadn't even broken. I was like twelve, and I went downstairs, and I was like, "Is this the art department?" <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah, who are you?" I was like, "Batman's number one," and they're like, "Really?" And do you, do you like Robin as well? Like, do they have to fact check that? Like bullshit. Yeah, I think they just call upstairs. They're like, Jan, like this little kid just came down here and said Batman's number one. So yeah. they're like, yeah, yeah, no, it's the number one album. It's pretty crazy that that's like interning anywhere at that age is insane. But of all places, for you, Rolling Stone. Yeah. And your love affair with music started well before then? Or was that when it all kicked off? Yeah, no, it was. That's why I wanted to work there because I was always like, I read Billboard magazine when I was like nine because I, I, I think my it would come to the house because my stepdad was a musician and he liked reading it. And... I just found it so interesting, like, knowing what was in the charts and even, like, the airplay monitor chart. Like, just shit that, like, a nine-year-old kid is like, shouldn't you be playing outside? But I definitely really, <laughs> I definitely, like, something about knowing about it. And I think because I was never, like, a brilliant musician, like, that it was so obvious, like, oh, that kid's going to play guitar. I think I was just trying to figure out what my place in music was going to be. So, like... I loved writing about music. Like maybe I was going to be a journalist or maybe like DJ or, you know, all these kind of things. So I think what's funny is like the producer is such a vague term, but it gets to be this like one basket that you can kind of throw all those tools in. So like, okay, I played in bands for a little bit. Uh, I have a little, I can play a little guitar keys. I've, you know, DJing is like digging in crates. That's your like knowledge, your history of music, musicology kind of thing there. And then like maybe reading Billboard gives you that extra thing of like, if you do want to win, like know what the competition is maybe, you mm. know. Because I know for the longest time, like you, you really don't think you're reinventing the wheel. But I think it's really interesting that two songs, especially in the last 10 years, that have kind of blown up globally is Shallow and Uptown Funk. Yeah. One with Bruno Mars. One with Bradley Cooper. Right. And Gaga, of course. Yeah. What do you think that says about you as a producer? I think I'm just... I don't think I have any, like, genre. I mean, obviously, I came up from DJing and hip-hop clubs, so, like, I mean, most of the time, it was quite, like, beat-centric. That might have been the thing maybe up until Joanne that's, like, the easiest thing to trace, whatever the kind of 
style or genre, it's like there's a rhythmic sensibility that's in a lot of the music. And then maybe it was just Gaga. Maybe it's getting older. Like there's suddenly like this thing that I went from like craving wanting to be able to dance to like craving wanting some honesty and emotional vulnerability. And then I guess this album, Late Night Feelings, is kind of the combination of those two things. But I don't think that there's any real parallel between Uptown Funk and Shallow other than the fact that they hopefully both feel a little bit timeless and, like, that's what I'm trying to do. But, yeah, it's... There are these... It is pretty crazy. And I think about that sometimes when I, like, think about starting off as, like, a DJ in New York playing tribe pete rock and cl smooth and gangstar on the records that i loved and then i'm like standing with an acoustic guitar next to miley cyrus or lady gaga like suddenly the guy like the acoustic guitar guy like it is kind of funny but um yeah i don't know just like you go through periods and your tastes evolve and you get turned on by different things you know I know leading up to late night feelings as well that you said you spiral a little bit because uptown funk had come out and you were worried about what is going to be the next uptown funk do you give a shit anymore? Um, I definitely give a shit. Like, I want to win still, for sure. Like, I know that nothing could ever be as big as Uptown Funk. I mean, until Old Town Road came out. But <laughs> I just think that, like, to, to when we were making Uptown Funk, we had no idea it was really going to be big, and we were just making something that felt good in the room. So, like, that's all you can really ever do. Like, the minute you start chasing things, and, like, I chased it a little bit. Like, I, you know, there was, like, a song for, like, the Ghostbusters soundtrack where they come in and they say, oh, they seem like nice people. Oh, this movie's going to be cool. Oh, they want something that feels like Uptown Funk. Let me see if I can knock it out. Like, mm. But that's ridiculous because Uptown Funk is, like, Bruno Mars, Jeff Basker, myself. It's, like, Phil Lawrence. It's like a, It was, like, a moment that came. Like, I, I could never recreate that, certainly not by myself. So, I don't know. The, the idea of just doing what feels very natural and honest in the room at that exact time is, is, is the thing that interests me, you know? Mm. This album is the most personal and you feel the most exposed, you've said. Are you the most confident you've ever been? I think that there's like a, like an ease that comes with maybe like some maturity and like there's something about this record that like, I think it's because I tapped into something emotionally and open that I that I, I I can't tell anyone this. It's subjective, but I feel in my gut that like this is the best record I made. So like, there's a confidence around that. And like, yeah, it might not sell what Uptown Funk did or or whatever it is, but like, I could sleep at night and I can sit in a room with any of my peers and play one of these songs because I know there's something like honest and 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 worthy in it. Um, I'm not gonna lie to you and tell you I remember what the question is though. No, I said, do you feel the most confident? Oh, um, I feel like a little bit more relaxed. That just could be because I just meditated and I have crazy jet lag right now. But I certainly <laughs> feel like I just feel like a little more chill about it, probably because the record's done and it really did take up a lot of my time. And I, there's just things that like I used to stress out so much about that just like maybe coming to terms with like you can't force everything your way and to like some of the neuroses that I have like also because like up to now in my life you know 
I've done well professionally. So those neuroses and Im- ambition and perfectionism that drive you, it's easy to be like, well, those are good things, obviously, because like, look at my career. But then you have to be like, yeah, and look at your personal life. Like, there has to be like a balance between those things, and it's like trying to find the the just a state of like calm, I guess. Do you feel like you're there? No, but I feel like. I'm aware of like what I do to get in my own way. And like, just even like the first thing that is like, you can really do is just like recognize the patterns and the shit that you do that makes you get in your own way and start to be like, you're never going to be healed overnight or like fixed it, but you can at least be like, Oh wait, I don't do that. You know? Is there anything in particular with this album, whether it be sound technique artist, that you want to tap into or continue with for, for new music? I like the fact that, and I think it was a bit of a carryover of working with Diplo and his producers, the Picard brothers, who worked a lot on Late Night Feelings. I like the idea that we kind of like pushed it to be like a little bit more sonically interesting, not quite as like organic and relying on the live musicianship that I have with, I have done with other records. Um, There's an honesty that I'd like to, you know, not every record from now on is going to be like, the breakup record or like this kind of thing but there's an honesty and a vulnerability that i would like to kind of keep going for sure um and then i'll probably want to make like a fucking brainless party banger with somebody as well like just to like have a little bit of the balance of, mm. of those things as well is there anyone in, in mind that you want to work with like who's left um i mean there's plenty of people around that i love that i would work with in a heartbeat like really obvious things like Kendrick or whatever. But, mm. I, you know, I love, like, working with Yabba and, like, being a part of King Princess's project. And, like, there's something so much fun about doing something with somebody on their first record or, their f- like, in their early phase because it's so um, contagious, like, that enthusiasm, like someone doing this thing for the first time and, 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 and helping show them that they're, like, good. Because, like, all these artists, like even the ones get signed for big deals and like on their first record, there's so much insecurity and like you see them not believing in themselves. And it's like, if you have a chance to just be like, help them be like, no, no, you're, you're really good. Like you deserve to be here. Maybe it's just from personal experience of knowing what that is. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of a good feeling. Maybe you kind of get to this age where like it used to be like this sort of ambition to like, in the in the studio to be like i want to produce this and i want my name on this song and this thing and if i did the work and i'm a bit more like um happy to like be the godfather a little bit like Mm. hey maybe it's not me for this record but you should work with this person because they're really great or just like i don't know what it is like i mean it's just like a certain different different attitude shift a little bit did you have that same energy when you started like, did you want to work with everyone and just keep making stuff with whoever? Yeah, I wanted to do that until three months ago. Like, this is just, <laughs> like, a newer thing to just be, like, a little bit more, like, relaxed about shit. And I feel pretty lucky that, like, still at the age I am, 43, like, still making music, like, that's relevant in pop world. Like, it's kind of, like, an unusual thing. So, um, I don't know. I just like have a little bit more of like an appreciation for everything where it is. Like I used to not think it was all right to like enjoy where you're at or that, that like this whole thing of like self-deprecation and these neuroses is like how you validate yourself or something. Mm. And and now I'm just realizing like, hey, it's like it's okay to enjoy things every now and then. Yeah. 
with that pop sound as well, with I know with Miley Cyrus, you didn't really hear her voice, quote-unquote, until that SNL 40th anniversary, and that blew you away. And I think you also said you weren't big on Gaga when Just Dance came out. What clicked? Is it a certain way they sing? Is it just something that you were missing? I think that they were that all the time. I just hadn't heard it, you know? So I think that definitely, like, Gaga... Um, everything. Okay. I think that... Um, Miley always had that twang because she'd been doing those covers for ages and there was a cover someone showed me recently of like back then that she did with Ariana Grande doing Don't Dream It's Over like so I just hadn't really caught it till then and Gaga like maybe Just Dance when it first came out wasn't like a record that I was like was on my radar but like the minute that I sat with her and saw her at the piano I'm just like oh this is the real deal so I think everybody has these kind of um, surprises in them I guess or like you're just like everybody's like it's like um Michelangelo's David like he says like he didn't chisel David out of clay David was always there he was just knocking away the stone till you know that was what was left I guess that's kind of like the thing you're doing a bit as a producer mm. Dude, I'm getting the wrap-up call so we're gonna have to finish but before we go are you coming back to Australia anytime soon um I would love this everywhere. So let's be careful. Yeah, I would, of course I'd love to, cause, um, we've played our, some of our best shows ever. The crowds are so great. You know, people really know the songs here. Things like somebody to love me that aren't like the, like, you know, necessarily songs that like the States or other places we play, mm-hmm. like go off the same way. So yeah, I hope so. I mean, there's no specific plans, but it would be a shame not to. To Mark. Thank you so much, man. It's Thank good to you. hang out with you. And um, awesome. yeah, looking forward to coming back. Thank you, boss. That's our show. Thank you again for listening to this episode. The album is called Late Night Feelings by Mark Ronson. Check it out now. And if you like what you heard today, check out the Handshake Media Network on iTunes or Spotify. And don't forget to share and subscribe. Next week, we're heading to Byron Bay for Splendor in the Grass 2019. I'll be chatting to some of the artists backstage at the festival. So we'll see you all there.